Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Joanna, and this is Hyphenated, the podcast about living in the hyphen. So there's a lot in the production and making of this podcast, and Kevin, who is our producer, he's really sort of you know, the spinal cord of getting all of this done. And because of that, we tend to have a lot of conversations outside of the records to figure out what it is we want to talk about. But a lot of the conversations me and Kevin have and a lot of our friendship that's sort of been bubbling as we've been working on this project together. And what I really appreciate about our relationship is that we tend to like to share facts and interesting facts and facts that the other person doesn't know or even get into really deep conversations about absolutely random things. So for this week's episode, Jenny couldn't make it. And I was just like, Kevin, we do this anyway. Why don't we just do it with a microphone in front of us? (laughs) Let's share some of the crazy fun facts that we want to share with each other with our listeners. Um, So Kevin, welcome. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast. (laughs) Thank you. You know what? I think we should we should redo the intro with you as my as my co-host. So let's do it again. Okay. Hi everyone. I'm Joanna. And I'm Kevin. And this is Hyphenated, the podcast about living in the hyphen, where a podcast host and her producer exchange weird facts with each other. Because <laughs> if we if we had a podcast together, like that's what it would, would be. It would, would be, be us yeah. coming together and being like, bro, you want to hear a fun fact about Pennsylvania in 1973? Yeah. Did you know that the uh, dung beetle um, and then that be two hours of dung beetle discussion yeah yeah so maybe it's good that we just have one episode right now yeah so i did a little bit of like remembering what my favorite fun facts are and you know what i love about fun facts is that when you ask someone to come and like say their fun fact it reveals a lot about them like my fun facts reveal a lot about my interests and about me and you know, depending on which friend I asked to share their fun fact, it like totally reflects on them. Like Jenny, if I had to ask her about like what her fun facts were, I'm sure she'd be like, oh, I know everything about Disney World. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you a fun fact about this crazy ride. Or she'd be like, did you know that Genghis Khan had ADHD? Because that's, yeah. he just couldn't contain himself. <laughs> fun fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had to always be doing something. Yeah, you're so right. You're so right. <laughs> um, So you've brought some interesting facts that we're going to discuss. I've brought some interesting facts that we're going to discuss. Yeah. Let's let's I, let's see if we find like a, like you're saying that's the thing about fun facts. It's like it's fun to the person. And I have discovered that that like I'll be like, "Oh, did you know?" and people will be like, "Why are you telling me?" Yeah. about the highway system in Florida. 
<laughs> so so yeah well you're really really lucky because a lot of my fun facts are about serial killers and murder investigations mm. and i was putting them together and i'm like i don't think that's fun for anyone so <laughs> i uh completely diverted my strategy um because yeah you're right like the word fun makes it light but i tend to believe that fun facts are actually sort of like the weird little obsessions people have whether they be deeply tragic mm-hmm. <laughs> incredibly boring or but i just find them all pretty fascinating which is kind of yeah. why i love i don't know if you read malcolm gladwell books like i know his books are like the da vinci code of nonfiction. okay i know that it's like everyone who doesn't read reads Malcolm Gladwell books but I love them because they are sort of like a string of fun facts that help me understand the world better and I'm always seeking to understand the world better so my facts Mm -hmm. tend to be about understanding the world if you had to delineate what your fun facts are what what would you say the overarching theme is I mean I guess it is kind of that I feel like if I look at the facts that I'm going to present to you it has a similar theme as yours as understanding the world I think since I was a kid I felt like you understand big things by understanding little things Mm. like weird things why this happens in this way and it's different and it makes the world more understandable if you can understand little weird things that's really true Okay, so I want to go first with my fun fact. And this following fun fact, um, I learned in my biological anthropology class that I was forced to take in college. Before my fun fact, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay? Okay. So what transportation thing that was invented made people have children with people significantly different genetically? Like what caused, Mm -hmm. what, what invention caused the highest number of like genetic diversity in in the world like babies started coming out that had less recessive diseases and stuff and like were way more diverse than they were before genetically my instinct is to say the car but i feel like that's Mm -hmm. too recent so i'm gonna say the train okay because you say like someone's gonna get on a train from rome and you know this is a roman family that's Mm -hmm. had children in rome forever they get on a train and they go to i don't know freaking geneva and then it's like oh these people have been procreating for many years but never procreated with this person from rome and now the next generation is super diverse right so you're saying train i feel like before when somebody would go somewhere else they were moving there they're like i'm i'm taking my whole family we're going to this place and then with trains i feel like got to the point where people could be like i'm gonna get on this train and we're gonna go visit some people and maybe have sex with some people there and maybe bring them back to our place like it made travel easier so it made mixing things up easier that's my opinion okay so it wasn't the train okay it wasn't the car it wasn't the plane i love trains <laughs> fun fact about you you love trains um it was the bicycle Oh, okay. Isn't that interesting? Because you're thinking like, oh my God, yes, miles and miles and miles and miles of distance between people. But actually what caused the most difference is just the fact that people could get on a bike and instead of walking a mile could do like five or 10. Mm -hmm. Like that distance, that difference between being able to walk one mile and find a girlfriend or a boyfriend or get on a bicycle and do five to 10, that caused the most genetic diversity. Yeah. That makes sense. If you're living on like some sort of farm or a village and you have a set amount of people around you, that's it. That's, you know, like, unless you're going to walk for days, that's it. But you get on a bicycle, you're somewhere in a couple hours and you can be hooking up with people over there and mixing it up. So yeah, that makes sense. It's the, the change from walking to going a little bit faster than walking. Exactly. And and that made a huge difference. And, you know, just so you know, I'm my, like my dad is Ashkenazi Jewish. He's 99.9% Ashkenazi Jewish. 
And um, most of my family on my dad's side is like 99% Ashkenazi Jewish. And Ashkenazi Jews, since we were placed into shtetls, like they were, we were sort of taken away from society and had to procreate a lot with each other. There's a lot of recessive diseases that only exist within our community, be mm-hmm. like Tay-Sachs disease, where like there wasn't enough genetic diversity so that recessive genes and recessive diseases could like disappear. And I always was like, oh my God, that's so crazy. That's so weird. Like... Oh, that's that's sad. I wonder if there's any super bizarre recessive disease that only existed within one family. Mm. And I found one. Okay. I found one. And this this will be the end of my very long fun fact about Uh-oh. recessive genes. Okay. I thought the bicycle was the fun fact. It, it kind of was. But then, you know, you know, it was the beginning of my fun fact that then like comes into like the 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 part 2a of my fun you have fact, layers which you is, have layers to these fun i facts. have layers within my fun fact about genetic diversity so i was like oh my god I, I this is crazy that like you know all my cousins have to be genetically tested like what's going on with recessive diseases i've heard that like you know the english crown had hemophilia which it's a disease that hits like the y chromosome this is a long story but like a lot of royal British people, men in particular, had um, hemophilia, which is like you basically bleed out because you don't have any plaquetas to like cover up your cuts. That's that's a side note. This is not the fun fact. The fun fact is this is this is my fun fact. This is the most astounding example of recessive disease in a really small society. So, the Fugates were a family who lived in the hills of Kentucky, and they were known as the Blue. Fugates. Ooh. Do you know why they were known as the Blue Fugates? They were really sad. So close. And they played the blues. <laughs> so close. Wish that were the case. No. They had an incredibly rare genetic trait. Yeah. And it was a blood disorder. And it literally caused them to look blue. Wow. And you look at pictures of these people and they're fucking like Smurf color blue. Yeah. And the last person that was born with that blue tinge was born in 1975. Like since then, there's enough genetic diversity. They've been like marrying people outside of that pool of recessive genes. And now it doesn't exist, which is the, you know, the importance of diversity. But um, for, for years, people would be like, yo, there's blue people living in Kentucky and no one believed the story. And people would like travel to this wow. town and see these blue people walking around. How many, how many were there? I think like dozens. Wow. So it wasn't just like yeah, one family. Called, it was like a little village. No. Or something. I mean, I guess it was one family because it had to be because it, w- it was like a recessive trait yeah. between people that were a little bit related and th- yeah. that recessive gene like just multiplied. Um, but there were multiple people like there were a community within this town of just blue people just walking around, hanging out, living their best life. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, they, they should have auditioned for the Blue Man Group, you know, yeah. is what I think. But the Blue Man Group didn't exist until later. So really missed opportunity there. But there's my <laughs> really long fun fact. The Blue Man Group was based on a true story. And then somehow it, within <laughs> the workshop stages, it just became a different show. But it was the story of this family. It became a different show. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of percussion now. You know, I think they were carpenters. But then, you mm-hmm. know, with the Blue Man Group iteration, they became people that did not speak and i guess like they play a lot with tubes i don't know i haven't been to the blue yeah. man group show in a long time i'd like to preface this conversation with there will be many jokes that are not fun facts <laughs> <laughs> okay so is it my turn yeah okay so i think maybe we have a different perception of what a fun fact is 
because my first fun fact is my mom once saw a really cool snake and no, I'm just kidding that's not what the hell were I was like where is this going towards like the, fun fact is just a story of your mom seeing a snake I can I be honest with you <laughs> what? I immediately I was like oh no this sounds like a religious text oh, no. <laughs> like someone saw a snake that winked and they ate an apple I'm like oh yeah. god okay anyway actual yeah. fun fact let's see if these are fun okay so this one is more of like just in general like a way to think about about time mm -hmm. so it's not one fun fact it's like a series of them that really make us conceptualize time and i think the the most popular one is the one that says cleopatra lived as close to the building of the pyramids as she did to the landing on the moon yeah like we always assume that cleopatra was there like signed off on it and they built the pyramids no she to her the pyramids were ancient history also mm -hmm. the other one that's kind of fun to conceptualize in terms of time and distance is that oxford university which is a university in england which you know is around today people go to it it actually predated the aztec empire what yeah so the aztec empire was established like in like the 1400s yeah oxford university started in 1096 oh wow life is a highway and on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Well, I guess that like that's what happens when, you know, a whole civilization is obliterated and yeah. then you build on top of it. And so it becomes ancient history. While Oxford, right. I guess, has really remarkable alumni that keep on donating <laughs> to it. And <laughs> doesn't it doesn't hurt that they're in England, Great right. Britain, you know, uh, I think I don't remember what the fact is, but I think they like colonize like every corner of the world. So no one was coming over. Oh, yeah. But that's interesting. I had no yeah. idea. Well, it's because we think of, of the Aztec stuff as like the Egyptians or like anything ancient. We imagine it being this, mm -hmm. this, you know, and then no, something as modern as Oxford University was actually around a long time before then. Yeah. Time works in crazy, uh, scary ways. And I hate yeah. it. I have one more. I have one more that I think, and this one's just kind of fun and weird, but it's the fact that hypothetically a samurai could have faxed Abraham Lincoln. What the, f what the <laughs> fuck mad libs are you saying? That made no sense. A samurai. Yes, samurai. Could have faxed. Nobody's saying it happened. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. <laughs> um, but like the fax machine was around when Abraham Lincoln and samurai. Yes. Warriors were around. So there was a 24 year window where this could have happened because the fax machine was invented in 1843. It was like called the electronic printing telegraph. So it was essentially just a telegraph that like instead of being like dee, 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 it would be like zzz, zzz, and print stuff. So that's considered the first fax machine. You know, I think you have a great pilot idea. You have to <laughs> yes. pitch this to yes. CBS. <laughs> this is 
they're going to build an entire <laughs> series around this one sentence about time exactly. that makes no sense and no one ever wants to see. And then the whole thing in Japan with samurai, was, it was like a caste system, right? And that caste system mm-hmm. existed in Japan until 1867. Oh, wow. Lincoln was alive around that time. At some point, a samurai could have like faxed him and been like, hey, don't go to that play, dude. Don't go to that play. But they, the samurai didn't do it. So Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. because the samurai also knew the uh, murderous desires of the assassination. Well, in my pilot, he's a time traveling samurai. So oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> cool. So, so we're getting a little bit fictional here. I'm adding. I'm, um, you know, it has to. You have to have a hook. So I think that the reason that this sort of these facts are interesting to me is because I, I just have this kind of fascination with time and the passing of time. Like my favorite movie of all time is Back to the Future. I really love. How like in the in the part three, you see this one building that's half built. And then if you watch part one, you see that that building is now the movie theater. I love stuff like that. I don't know why that's fascinating to me. The passage of time and studying how things change. It's and- amazing how we can't we can't go through one conversation without you bringing up back to the future. It's literally <laughs> physically impossible. It's physically um, impossible. I'm going to have to rewatch it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's move on from time and let's mm-hmm. move on from genetics. Yes. I have a, a fun fact about about the brain. Um, so fun fact, one fourth of the world's CEOs have dyslexia. Oh, yeah. Which is a lot more than the population, like within the population, like five to 15% of people have dyslexia. So this Mm -hmm. is like a higher representation of people with dyslexia. Yeah. So they did a bunch of studies like, okay, what is it about dyslexia, which is seen as a, a, a sort of weakness how does that make people incredibly good at like running companies and being really powerful and shit? And they basically sort of came to the conclusion that when you have something like dyslexia, you have to creatively solve problems. You have to creatively find ways around the structure that is in place in society. You have to be kind of like an independent thinker. Mm-hmm. Um, and also you have to persevere a bunch. So anytime like I, you know, I don't know, I have like friends who tell me that their kids were just diagnosed with this, that, and the other. I'm always like, well, sometimes these things that are considered um, disorders actually make people have to find solutions and make them really smart in other ways. So I found this to be fascinating. No, it's interesting. If you look at it in other ways, how often, for example, immigrants or children of immigrants succeed in, in things because the struggle of getting and moving to a new place or surviving and stuff build in a certain amount of character that then propels them to do more. So you hear that a lot mm-hmm. with like immigrants. And I think it's true with other things where like something being difficult or something being a struggle makes people more adept. And I think that it makes sense with dyslexia because it is a mm-hmm. disorder that is not easily identifiable. Mm-hmm. So I think in other cases, other situations, things like people being disabled, like physically disabled, it's something that like would have the same outcome. These this person perseveres and and they work twice as hard as everybody else to be able to do just the most basic things. So they would hypothetically be able to like achieve even more. But because as a society we tend to ostracize people who look and behave different than us, we will like set them aside and oh no, you don't really get to mm-hmm. you don't get to be part. But dyslexia is something that is within the person. And if they're able to surpass it, nobody's going to stop them. Nobody's going to look at them and say, you have yeah. dyslexia. We're going to discriminate against you. So that's that's really interesting. Yeah. Like, you know, Barbara from Shark Tank. Mm-hmm. She has dyslexia. 
You know, you, you can't see it. You can't tell. She yeah. just, you know. So, yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. I wonder if, if there's other things like that. If there's other ailments or other disabilities that people have that that equate with higher level of success. Like, for example, my dad is left-handed. Mm-hmm. And when he was a kid, it, he was young enough where like they wouldn't let you be left-handed. And they made him learn how to write with his right hand. That's so crazy. He was able to, to do it. And then that's how he lives his life now. His business, everything is this like, he's very disciplined, he's very strict, and he gets things done. And I'm not that way at all. And it's, I think I just, that might've been a factor for him as terrible as it was to make people who are left-handed do everything with the right hand. It might've instilled something in him. Something that seems impossible to people he was able to do. So the realm of possibility opened for him. I wonder if there's other things like that, you know? A lot of US presidents particularly have dealt with like loss. Yeah. Which I think is, you know, equally as, as interesting. Like Andrew Jackson's wife died and John and Jacqueline Kennedy lost a child. A bunch of just like tragedy surrounds a lot of these people. And I think it's like, you know, my, my, I was talking to my cousin who recently lost her mom and my aunt. And she was like, you know, what's crazy is like you go through something you think you will never be able to survive and then you survive it and you find the strength within yourself. So, you know, this, these tragedies and losses maybe gave a lot of these people like the strength to say, I can handle anything. I'm going to run for president, you know? And also like, we don't have a lot of time. Let's get our shit together and do stuff like run for president. Okay, your turn for a fun fact. Okay, so besides the passage of time, the other thing that kind of fascinates me is geography. And not just like where things are. I love maps. Like I love maps and I love looking at maps and I love how they work and stuff. And I think there's just like an element of society that is really shown like this is the natural world and this is how we carved it up. So I used to I used to work on cruise ships. I did it for like a year or so. So I used to travel a lot of places. And then one of the places that we would go to sometimes was through the Panama Canal. So I got to go through the Panama Canal a couple of times. And one of the things that I learned, which is really interesting, is that if you're traveling through the Panama Canal, let's say from the west to the east, you're in the Pacific, you need to go to the, to the Atlantic, to the Caribbean, right? So you assume I'm going to travel west to east. But the way the Panama Canal was built in this kind of like spiral way, anytime you travel to get from west to east, you actually have to ultimately go east to west. You spiral down and you travel in the opposite direction and then back around. It's so counterintuitive. You have to go in the opposite direction to get to the opposite direction. That's so funny. That's an example of a fun fact that I'm like, okay, that's a very Kevin thing. I would have never, I would. I, I went to the Panama Canal, like I've been there three times. I'm sure th- this fun fact has been said to me, did not retain it because I do not care. I think, I think this is your nice way of going. This is not an interesting one. <laughs> You're like, this is, that's so you, that dress. That's so that's you. you. You're so brave I to love be wearing that, that dress. For you. Okay. I would never wear it, but I love that for you. All right. I have to preface the fact that like, I find things that aren't related to people like it has to be incredibly interesting for me to like, yeah, feel connected to it. But this is interesting because, you know, maps are so weirdly subjective. Like, I don't believe maps. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that if I looked, I was in space and I'd look down, I'd be like, what a bunch of liars. Oh, yeah. The earth is flat. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, What about, you know, what a bunch of liars. Uh, Africa is literally 400 times bigger than what I saw Mm -hmm. in my you know, geography books. Okay, this is one last one that maybe hopefully you'll find this one interesting. It's another map one. Oh, God. I really hope. 
Okay, so France, right? Okay. You know the country of France? It's in Europe. I know the country of France, Kevin. Yes. It's in Europe. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) This this podcast is going downhill. Um, (laughs) And it actually, you know, borders like essentially 11 different nations, right? The longest border that France has Mm -hmm. with another country is Brazil. What the fuck are you saying? (laughs) What do you mean the longest border it has with with a country is Brazil? So it's a technicality. Okay, bitch. What is it? Essentially, (laughs) you're so mad. Essentially, France, like most of these European countries have like territories and colonies and things like that, right? The difference is that something like Great Britain, they would have colonies, but they would be like, those are our colonies. We are Great Britain and those are our colonies. France doesn't do that. France, essentially, any territory that it has outside of its of its central body, it still says, well, that's France. It's like us with mm-hmm. Hawaii. Where we're like, that's that's the United States, even though it's all the way out there. It's, it's us. It's still us. Mm-hmm. It's not like American Samoa or something where like we consider it a territory. Yeah, it's like, not like Puerto Rico. Yeah. But France is that way with everything. So French Guiana, even though it's French Guiana, it is technically, according to France, it is a part of France. It is a a part of the the nation, the Republic of France. And it just happens to be that the border between French Guiana and Brazil is the longest border that France has with any other country. So it's a a technicality, but it's, it's interesting because it just speaks a lot about I think to me, if you want to give it a, a personal, like a person point of view it, or people point of view, it talks a lot about colonization and how like how, how you can claim things, how things that are not even part of your central being, you can just say, no, it is. And this counts towards towards me, towards me no, as a sovereign nation. Yeah. France always like I find that they're so good at exporting their culture, like Le Lycée Francais, like the, the French schools they they have a education system that is the french system that they've exported everywhere in the world and i mm-hmm. live four blocks away from the freaking french school and everything around my neighborhood is french everyone speaks french there's croissants yeah. every fucking two blocks yeah. so there we go you know yeah. there we go fun fact fun fact see that fun fact. that was a fun fact because it it, it 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 launched a conversation <laughs> about france um so that's good that's a little better okay. than your canal one <laughs> Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Okay. All right. My turn. Okay. You know the term gabagool? You know the word gabagool? Yeah, I guess. I don't know what it means. It's like mafia stuff, Where have you heard it? Sopranos. (laughs) Yes. I said literally that's so it. Gob- yeah, so the Sopranos, the HBO show, Tony Sopranos, like one of his favorite foods was gabagool and they always mm. talked about gabagool and gabagool is a word that's like it it's it's a type of food that like 
you know, Italian Americans like, you know, Gabagool. So there's a misconception about what Gabagool is. So it's interesting because I have a friend who has a banner uh, company and they sell a lot of banners that say Gabagool on it to like Italian Americans. It's like a point of like pride. Um, and I was like, what the fuck is it though? So Gabagool is, is liter- quite literally, it is the word used for a type of like dried meat. It's kind of like a salami type thing. I'm into it. But it is, the original term isn't gabagool. The original word was, this is like fascinating, I promise you. Listen, no matter how fascinating it is, after the reception that my Panama Canal fat got, I'm just not going to act fascinated. Okay, okay, fine, fine. (laughs) Okay, so the word gabagool was born when a variety of Italian dialects merged here Mm. in New York, okay? And... The word doesn't actually mean absolutely anything in Italian because the actual word in Italy for this dried meat is capicola. But there was so much migration of Italians with different dialects coming to the States. The word capicola over the course of years transformed into the word gabagool. Mm. Okay. And gabagool has no meaning. It is, and this is a quote, this is a quote from like a a legit person that knows language. The word gabagool is a construction of the frozen shards left over from languages that don't even exist in Italy anymore with minimal intervention from modern Italian. It is a completely and totally Italian-American on the East Coast word. Wow. So it's just, it's literally just an Italian-American word. It's an Italian-American word that comes from Capicola. It's not even, it's not even an Italian word. No, no, it is. And it, I love that because it's like, and I love, I love how like famous it's become because, because of the, you know, Tony Soprano mm-hmm. and, and, but like my Italian American friends are like, oh yeah, Gabagool. But, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's this very specific Italian American word and I, I love its inception. Yeah. Tony Soprano. Anyway. Gabagool. I think that beat your, uh. Panama Canal one. But yes. I'm sorry. I just, I'm not a huge fan of canals and I love dried meat and the Sopranos. Okay. So I'm going to try to play to the audience, which in this case is just you. Like I just, I'm just trying to please you. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So I'm going to try to follow this up with a food fact also. So like okay. have some symmetry here. But are you hungry? Cause I, I got hungry. I got hungry. Yeah. So catch, I literally just heard this the other day and it was like, I, r- I watched a whole freaking video about this. This is how much of a nerd I am. I watched a whole like 20 minute video about ketchup. So we, what, what is, what is ketchup to you? Like, what do you, when you think of ketchup, what is it? Uh, it's a, you know, I think it's the number one condiment. It's, yeah. you know, tomato sauce. It goes with everything, yeah. but it's like, it doesn't taste like tomato. It's like, it's one of those things that is supposedly tomato sauce, but doesn't mm-hmm. taste like the thing it originally comes from. You almost didn't even say tomato. I won't, you know, you're even like, right. Cause like, it's so obvious tomato ketchup, it's ketchup is tomato, right? Yeah. And where do you think ketchup comes from? What's ketchup's origin in the world? I would guess, you mean like a country? Yes. Like what was the first country that had like ketchup? Well, because fun fact is that like tomatoes are are from um, the Americas. Mm-hmm. People think tomatoes are like Italian, but actually tomatoes didn't exist in Italy until after the Americas were quote unquote discovered. Mm-hmm. So um I'm thinking it might be a, a Mer- maybe like Native American, like f- something f- like from the Americas versus from Italy. Ooh. So you, so the option is not Italian, it's American or Native American. That's what you're thinking, right? I mean, I'm trying to find the funnest fact. No, no. Saying that it's American is the funnest 
interpretation because it is like the most opposite. I've never thought about where ketchup came from. I never thought about where ketchup came from. And then I okay. watched this Oh my God, now I'm video. like dying. It is, and I, I don't have the information. This is literally, this is not one of the facts that I had. I came to this podcast with. Okay. This is something that I just watched the video recently inspired by it. And I'm just off the top of my head. So I don't, I, I don't have all the facts, but it's from an Asian country. I, don't, I think it might be from China, uh, but it might've gone through Japan. Oh. But essentially the first ketchup or ketchup or actually some other pronunciation that I can't say because it's so so old and, and foreign, but it had nothing to do with tomatoes. It had nothing to do with tomatoes. It was actually a, a paste or like a sauce paste that was made out of like the remains, like the stuff that was left over from fish. It was a fish sauce. Ew. Yeah. Ketchups or catsups history is it's entwined with soy sauce. So essentially... Europeans were in Asia. They discovered soy sauce. They discovered that version of ketchup that existed back then. Uh, and then they brought the recipe back. But then over the years, they just like stopped making. Like it was, it was like fermented fish. And it was like this whole process to make fermented fish ketchup. And then the Europeans were just kind of like got lazy or just lost the recipe or just whatever. And then and this happened to soy sauce too. They just co-opted the term ketchup. That that was their translation from from the Asian language that it came from. They just started calling it catsup, but then they just adopted that word to mean like different kinds of sauces that they would then like any condiment. Not any condiment, but it would be like it, they stopped fermenting things. But it would be like at one point, walnut catsup was the most popular catsup. Like like at some point, and again, I don't have all the facts because this is literally like I'm just remembering it from from memory. But at some point in history, if you said catsup, you didn't think tomato, you thought walnuts. And the video that I watched was interesting because the guy actually made a recipe of like an old walnut based catsup. And the idea was like you would make it and you wouldn't just use that sauce. You would mix it in with like an existing white sauce and it would add flavor. It would add like sort of like a um, umami sort of flavor to, to food. And then what ended up happening was different types of ketchups were made, different types like walnut and, and uh, you know, this and that and the other. And then tomato ketchup actually was not very popular because for the longest time, tomatoes were considered poisonous in Europe. And the mm. tomatoes themselves weren't poisonous. What happens is that the, 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 I'm trying to remember, either the barrels that they were transported in or the, or the cans that they were kept in or, or possibly the, the, the pots that they were cooked in had like the, the acidity of the tomato would leach off poisonous things from mm -hmm. those things. And then people would die from eating tomatoes, but it wasn't the tomatoes. It was the container. So people wouldn't, okay. would, very few people would make tomato ketchup uh, or ketchup. And then eventually it just, it, it, it came to America and it was like this, this condiment that people used, whatever. And then Heinz, we all know Mr. Heinz, he created this company that had all these different condiments and he said, well, let's, let's do ketchup. And they did different versions of ketchup. Um, and then he said, let's, let's do the tomato. What the hell? Like we know how, like he figured out or he eventually figured out the thing that was making tomatoes poisonous. And, and then as, and it, and again, tomato ketchup wasn't very popular. So his marketing idea was let's not call it ketchup. Let's call it ketchup. And he changed it from a C to a K and added the ch sound and it became tomato ketchup. And then now all we know about ketchup is that it's tomato and it started from fermented fish. 
So it's all a marketing. It was all marketing. It's all marketing. And it's all honestly, it's all like appropriation. <laughs> like they took probably something yeah. that was pretty delicious on its own. And then they turned it into something else and kept the name. So it is marketing because people were creating new sauces and just calling it the thing that the that, oh, you know, that exotic thing from Asia. Yeah, this is this is it too. It's made out of walnuts, you know, but it's the same thing. So, yeah, it's all marketing. It's all marketing, which, OK, quick fun fact, because we're, we're running out of time. But okay. one of my favorite marketing um, phenomenons is that the diamond is mm -hmm. actually the least valuable of all stones. Yeah. It was so like shitty and there was there's so many fucking diamonds that the De Beers company, which is like the company that owns most of the diamond freaking caves or whatever they're yeah. in in the world, they had to like limit the amount of diamonds they sold because the prices were just imploding. So then they created a marketing campaign about the engagement ring um, and made it like common culture that you had to like yeah. give a woman a diamond ring to ask for her hand in marriage and that yeah. was all a marketing ploy because diamonds were like the ugliest of all of the the gems that's the same thing with breakfast the breakfast that we that we eat is literally just they found all this different food that wasn't selling and then they're like they they just package it said this is a breakfast you guys have to eat this breakfast and then now this is what we eat for breakfast but it was literally them packaging something that wasn't selling well but what do you mean like what like bacon bacon pancakes eggs all that stuff that's a 20th century invention that is like not mm. actually any it's it literally was invented it's kind of like santa claus and coca-cola where they said this is what santa claus looks like because we're going to put them in ads and now that's what santa claus looks like to us the american breakfast that we know is not rooted in anything cultural it literally was the the different food conglomerates going we're not selling this food can we make people eat it at a different time of day and and they invented the the what we know as the American breakfast. American culture based <laughs> on corporations and marketing. Well, this is just a little snippet of how me and Kevin's conversations tend to go when we don't have a time limit. And he calls <laughs> me and he's like, "Yo, uh, you forgot to send me your thing." I'm like, "Oh God, I'm so sorry." And then we'll just start talking about crazy fun facts. And then be on the phone for a little too long. Mm -hmm. And now we've packaged it, marketed it as a podcast episode. Yes, we were the, the great tradition of marketing and selling, commodifying facts. Yes, there we go. We should do this more often. I learned so much. Yes, I can find some Erie Canal facts. Some um, Just anything scary. Oh, wait, you mean there's an Erie Canal or a, a Erie Canal facts? No, like the Erie, the Erie Canal, like the Erie Lake Erie has a canal. So I'm just going to find good. Thank you so I'm going to find That's more good. more fun canal and waterway facts for you. I'm I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. I think I've hit my limit of canal facts. Okay. Um maybe next time like bring more food facts or people facts or if if you have a canal fact that is eerie, I'd like to hear that. <laughs> Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.